You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, we've been talking about the prophet Jonah, and let's kind of uh, get a little bit of a review here on what took place in chapter 3. So it is the word of Yahweh that reached the king of Nineveh, and then he arose. Of course, there's the contrast there between the word of Yahweh coming to Jonah, and he was supposed to arise and travel to Nineveh, but he does not. Instead, he flees. But here we have the king of Nineveh. He arose when the word reached him. And if he rises up from his throne. So again, the, the preaching of Jonah is that in 40 days, the city of Nineveh is going to be overturned. So you only have uh, 40 days. And so in, in this way, the city is really being overturned. There's a new king. The king is Yahweh, the king of kings. And so to display this, to show this, the king of Nineveh takes off his royal robe and he dresses in sackcloth, and then he sat down on ashes. Now, these outward activities are a display, a manifestation of the change of the king's heart. And so then in verse 7, then he issued an edict and he said in Nineveh from the decree of the king and his great one saying, man and beast... The herd and the flock, they must not taste anything. They must not feed, and water they must not drink. We continue at verse 8. So man and beast must dress themselves in sackcloth, and they must call out to God fervently. And each one must turn from his evil way and from the violence, which is in their palms, the, the palms of the hands, that is. Now, notice that uh, palms of the hands has to do with the action, the activity, what you are doing. Now, there's a change. A change in the heart is made manifest in a change in activity. And so the evil that you were doing before, the violence, that's going to come to an end. And instead of doing that, a different thing outwardly will be seen. Sackcloth, dressed in sackcloth, and prayer. So the hands are not used to hurt others, but instead the hands are used in prayer to God, fervently crying out to God, praying. Now remember when the mariners back in chapter 1 were converted to faith, they too cried out. They prayed to God. They called out in the name of Yahweh. Prayer is a manifestation of faith with a changed heart. We begin to see external things changing, the activities. For this is the work of the Holy Spirit, to work in the heart so that we begin to do new things. In verse 9, this is the king speaking still, and he says, Who knows? God may turn and change his verdict, and he may turn from the burning of his nose so we will not perish. Now, a couple of things here. The king is directing his people by royal decree 
to cease from evil, to cease from violence, to have a changed activity so that things could be seen in the changing of the heart that was brought by the word of the prophet. And so the response of the king is, who knows? Now, this is a humble response so that the king understands that he cannot manipulate God. The king cannot do things that will make God do things in response. So if you change your activities, the king cannot then assume that God will change his activity. But you notice this humility here. Who knows? This humble question of meditation and contemplation. Who knows? It may be that God may turn and change his verdict. Now, that's the proclamation that Jonah had made, that Nineveh would be overturned, that the verdict is one of destruction. Now, the king is hopeful, hopeful that this God, the God who sent a prophet to warn the people with a threatening of destruction, would bring mercy and would bring salvation. So God may turn and change his verdict, and he may turn from the burning of his nose, so we will not perish. Now, I'm translating the burning of the nose, or his nose in particular, in a very straightforward way. I mean, straight from the Hebrew. Typically, you would say something like his fierce anger or fiery fury or something like that. Uh, usually, that burning of the nose is seen as the anger of God. Because it's with the nose where the nostrils flare and the breath is heated when God becomes angry. For sin provokes God to anger. And so you don't want to see God's flaring nostrils, his burning nose. Instead, you want to see God's face of grace. But with sin, what we are left with is that we cannot stand before God's holiness, his righteousness. And instead, we are brought before his presence and we see the burning of his nose, the flaring of his nostrils, the anger and the heat of his breath, because sin provokes to anger. Now, in the book of Jonah, there's a very similar kind of uh, a word that the king is saying to what the prophetic message is. So we know that uh, Jonah will talk about this later in the next chapter. In fact, this is very similar to what we heard or what we hear in the prophet Joel. So the prophet Joel, who is calling people to repentance, the people of God in particular, Joel in chapter 2 says, And even now declares Yahweh, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and wailing. Rend your hearts and not your garments, and return to Yahweh your God. So again, this is the prophet Joel speaking to the people of Israel, the people of God who have his word. And so he can say, return to Yahweh your God because he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he changes his verdict from evil. Now, these are the words of the prophets. These are the words that are rooted in what the prophet Moses was told way back in Exodus chapter 34. So when Yahweh reveals or appears and proclaims his name 
to Moses, he says in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, Yahweh, Yahweh, God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, keeping steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And he does not leave anything unpunished. For he punishes the guilt of the fathers on sons and on the sons of the sons on the third and the fourth generations. So Moses proclaimed this same word that he received from God, that we know who Yahweh is. This is a confession of faith in the true God. Of course, before in chapter 1, we were talking about the confession of Yahweh in opposition to man-made concepts of God. The imagination of the corrupted heart forms a false image of God, what the human being wants God to look like and act like. Of course, originally, we were created in the image and likeness of God. But after the fall into sin, we lost that image, and we were conceived, and we've been conceived and born in the image and likeness of Adam and Eve, the rebels ever since the fall. And it was Adam and Eve who immediately tried to make God merciful. They tried to hide from God. They tried to cover their own guilt with the fig leaves. Now, this is the first time that you have an instance of idolatry. Now, idolatry, of course, is worship without God's word. God had told Adam and Eve clearly what was pleasing in his eyes. It was that they were to refrain from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But yet they rebelled. They rejected the word of God, resisted the work of the Holy Spirit, and followed after the deceiver, Satan himself, the old evil foe, that serpent. And so this is where we see the beginning of a battle of words, a war of words for the soul of humanity. And here you have Adam and Eve now hearing a different word. When Yahweh comes to them in the cool of the day, traveling and walking toward them to find them and give them the promise of the seed that would crush the serpent's head. Now, this was the true word that was to be heard, the voice of God that they were to rejoice in, that this is the message of salvation, that a Savior would be born who would save us from Satan, who would save us from our sin, who would save us from death. But yet in humanity, because of that original sin, because of the condition of the heart, the human nature wants to make God in its own fallen image. So this is what we see throughout the pagan world, the whole Gentile world that doesn't have God's word. And so they fall into idolatry. That is worship without God's word. But this confession of faith that Moses now has is that Yahweh is merciful and gracious. So you cannot make God merciful. Any attempt, any method at making God merciful is idolatry. In fact, this is a domesticated deity, a God in which you try to manipulate by your activity. So here we see something very unique with the king of Nineveh. In humility, the king has been converted, and so he understands that you cannot manipulate God. 
you cannot make him merciful. So this is why the king in humility says, who knows? But now, of course, the king doesn't have the word of God from the mouth of the prophets that he can contemplate on, that he can meditate upon day and night, that is all resting and founded in the promise of the seed that would crush the serpent's head. That confession of faith that Moses has is that Yahweh is merciful and gracious, that he is slow to anger. And so here we see that confession of Yahweh. Before in chapter 1, the confession of Yahweh was unique, that he's the one who delivers in the sea. In the waters, he makes dry land. The one who created all things is the one who makes dry land for his people to walk upon, to travel upon in safety and security. That's the confession of Yahweh who delivered his people out of slavery and captivity in the land of Egypt. But here you also have in the book of Exodus this unique confession of Yahweh. Yahweh is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. In fact, this whole understanding of slow to anger is that his, his nostrils, his nose is, it takes a while, it's long before the heat uh, would come out and flare. So he is long suffering. He is patient. But I mean, this is the idea again of the nose and the nostrils flaring with the heat of breath because of anger. And so he's slow to anger. And he's abounding with steadfast love. Now, this steadfast love, of course, is not apart from his word. It's not an abstract concept. It is the steadfast love that is given in the promise. The promise that he made to Adam and Eve in the garden. The promise that he made to Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And the promise that the people of God in Egypt still were holding on to. The promise that Moses maintained. This is the one who is steadfast in his love. He is faithful to his promise. He's the one who keeps this steadfast love to the thousands of generations. And he's the one who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. This is what he does. And so here with this, this humble uh, proclamation and this humble question of meditation, the king says, who knows? God may turn and change his verdict. He may turn from the burning of his nose so we will not perish. In fact, again, going back to the book of Joel, this is very similar to what the prophet Joel was teaching. When Joel said that Yahweh your God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he changes his verdict from evil. And Joel said, who knows? whether he will turn and change his verdict and leave a blessing behind, an offering and libation for Yahweh your God. So even Joel is a prophet who's proclaiming the same message as Moses in humility, teaching the people humility, the who knows meditation, so that we understand clearly that this is a humble request. It is a state of humility where we understand that we are beggars, constantly in need of God's mercy. We cannot make God merciful. He is merciful. So any action that we do externally is not going to make God change his mind. 
So God is not like a machine where you can just put in the coins and then you get the results that you want. So as the king says, who knows? Technically, that's what the prophet Joel was saying. But the people of God, we have the assurance of salvation. We have the promise of who God is. But in humility, we still approach him as beggars. We are those who plead for mercy. We're the woes who say, Hosanna, Hosanna, or Hoshiana, save us, please, we beseech you. Not because we deserve it, but because you are merciful. Now, if we go back again to the book of Jonah, when the king says, who knows? This is that humility. This is the humbleness that the king is trying to display before his own people. And so in verse 10, we then have the response of God. Now, again, it is interesting that God here is speaking through the mouth of the prophet Jonah. But in verse 10, God acts by seeing. God is the one who sees. Remember in the beginning, God saw his creation and it was very good. Tov ma'od, muy bien. Uh, it's very good. So God sees and he declares that it's good. And so in verse 10, then God saw their deeds. Now, again, we want to pause right here and, and note that it's not that the deeds manipulated God. They did not make God merciful. The deeds are a manifestation, the outward actions are an external manifestation of the change in the heart that God himself brought by the preaching of his word. It is through the word that the Holy Spirit comes to change hearts, to give faith, to strengthen faith, to turn us, to repent us back toward God. So in verse 10, it's not like uh, the idea that God is doing this because they merited, they earned, or they gained God's favor. You cannot. God is favorable towards us because of his promise. So in verse 10, when it says, Then God, God saw their deeds and that they turned from their evil way, and God changed his verdict regarding the evil, which he spoke that he would do to them. So he did not do it to them. So here we have a changing of God's verdict from the law, which exposes sin. It brings the knowledge of sin, which then, of course, puts us under the law, under accusation and condemnation. So the verdict is destruction. But his verdict is changed with the word of the gospel. Now, we would say that this is God's proper work, the word of the gospel, whereas that word of the law that brings destruction, exposing sin, that is the alien work of God. It is God's alien work in which he brings punishment because God is merciful. That's his attribute. So we don't confess that God is wrathful, that God is anger. But instead, God is provoked to anger and wrath because of sin. So his proper work is mercy, favor, grace, forgiveness, goodness, all the things that are all boiled down to the one word chesed, 
the steadfast love of the Lord according to his promises. So in verse 10, when we see that God sees their deeds, that we want to see this in the context of the book of Jonah so that we will see what happens in the very next chapter. So notice that Jonah is to be the mouthpiece of God. He's supposed to speak the word of God. But instead, Jonah wants to be the eyes. Jonah wants to see things the way that he thinks is right in his own sight. So watch the sequence of events here. Watch with your ears and see what the king says, and then the response of Yahweh, and then what Jonah says. So let's take a look at these events once again. The people change from their evil and the violence that they were doing. The king then says, who knows, God may turn and change his verdict, and he may turn from the burning of his nose so we will not perish. And then God saw their deeds, that they turned from their evil way, and God changed his verdict regarding evil, which he had spoke that he would do to them. Now we go to the prophet Jonah in chapter 4. So verse 1 says, Nevertheless, it did evil to Jonah, a great evil, so it angered him. Now let's stop right there and think about this. The whole entire book of Jonah had started with the problem of evil. So back in chapter 1 at verse 2, Yahweh speaks to Jonah and says, Arise, travel to Nineveh, the great city, then call out against it, because their evil has ascended to my face. Now that's the evil, the evil of Nineveh. Now when you get to chapter 3, notice again as this reboot, this redo, where Jonah is sent once again. Yahweh says to Jonah, Arise, travel to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to her the proclamation that I myself am speaking to you. And the message of the messenger, the sermon of the sermonizer, is 40 days until Nineveh is going to be overthrown. So the evil of Nineveh is now met with evil from God. And now what we mean by evil is not moral evil. God, of course, does not do moral evil, but evil that is which takes away life. So you have on the one hand, that which is good is that which is life. So when God sees his creation that's full of life, he says it is good. It is very good. But then when Adam was alone without the ability to procreate and to reproduce and bring more life, it was not good. So good has to do with life. Death has to do with evil. So the destruction that God was bringing is an evil because it will bring death. It will take away life. This is what sin does. Sin separates from God who is life. Sin brings death. The sting of death is sin. 
and the power of sin is the law. The law brings the knowledge of sin. In being placed under the law, the individual who receives this message is now accused and condemned. And so when Jonah gives that message, 40 days until Nineveh is going to be overthrown, this is the message of condemnation, the message of destruction. This is that alien work of God to expose sin and to punish it. And so that evil that was going to take place upon the city of Nineveh, where there would be death and destruction, that there would be desolation and devastation, well, Yahweh changes verdicts. Then Yahweh saw their deeds, that they turned from their evil way, and God changed his verdict regarding the evil. That's the death, the impending death that was to come. And so notice then what happens in chapter 4 at verse 1. Nevertheless, it did evil to Jonah. So now, Jonah is receiving evil. Now, what is going on here with Jonah? It becomes a great evil. So it's that which is not good for Jonah. In fact, it angered him. Now, see, here's what's going on. It's that God is the one who is merciful, but he is provoked to anger. When he sees sin, his wrath, his fury, the fire, this fierceness is poured out. But now we know that Yahweh is slow to anger, but he will not let anything go unpunished. And so here Jonah is acting as if he is God. Jonah has now a great evil. Originally, it was the evil of Nineveh that ascended before the face of Yahweh. But now Jonah has a great evil, and he becomes angered by it. So Jonah is acting like the eyes of God. Jonah is acting like the one who now becomes angry and will not let anything go unpunished. Jonah wants judgment. This is his perspective. This is how he sees things. And so now we switch from that message of the messenger to the people of Nineveh to now a message and a conversation to Jonah himself. Now you have this, then Jonah prayed to Yahweh in the next verse. So this is the conversation. This is the divine dialogue where God speaks and then we as his people respond in prayer. We call out to Yahweh and he answers. And so now Jonah is going to have a conversation with Yahweh because now Jonah has a great evil and Jonah is angered and he does not see these things are right in his sight. He wants judgment. Jonah wants judgment. So in verse 2, then Jonah prayed to Yahweh and he said, Please, Yahweh, was this not what I spoke while still on my ground? When Jonah was back in his land, when Jonah was back with his people as a prophet proclaiming God's word to God's people, Jonah was okay when God was merciful to his people. But now that God is merciful to the Gentiles, those who did not have the promise of the Messiah, Jonah's not all right with us. 
So in this question to Yahweh, he is he's having this conversation and he's saying, that's why. Therefore, I previously fled to Nineveh because I knew. Now, let's just pause here for a second. Here, Jonah as a prophet, he knows the message of Moses. He knows that Yahweh is merciful and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He knows that. He knows that Yahweh does change his verdict from destruction to salvation, from death to life. I mean, in contrast to the king of Nineveh. Remember, the king of Nineveh says, who knows? Well, Jonah says, I knew. <laughs> I knew exactly what was going to happen here. And so Jonah says, therefore, I previously fled to Nineveh because I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and one who changes his verdict regarding evil. Instead of rejoicing in the repentance of Nineveh, Jonah was upset it was evil to Jonah, a great evil, so that he was angered by it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.